Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Corey of BP Boston. Um, you can find Matt on Twitter at, at MattyMatty2000, and uh, Matt is, I noticed, newly verified on Twitter. So, Matt, uh, welcome back to the show, and congrats on your verification. Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's... Twitter, so who cares? But uh, but it's great to be uh, great to be talking Red Sox again with you, Jake. I know it's been uh, it's been way too long. Um, we are now fully in our our uh, our season of podcasting, so we uh, we will now be with you on a weekly basis, which is exciting to to share with everybody out there. And you know, I I haven't talked to you on a podcast in I don't know several months, so. This is going to be a whole lot of fun, and we're going to kind of dish on a lot of different topics today. And um, you know, there's there's not a a whole ton of exciting stuff going on with the Red Sox, but there's enough there to keep us keep us chatting. And there's a lot happening in the baseball world, so I wanted to kind of kick it off with um, the discussion about spring training in the World Baseball Classic. I kind of wanted to know how how much of those two things. Are you paying attention to how much of them are you taking in, um, and do you have a preference? Like, do you prefer watching one over the other? Uh, I love spring training. A lot of people hate it, <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's fantastic, um, and I, I love, uh, especially love going, um, and uh, just you know, just for a long weekend, and you know, catching some some games that I mean it's almost a relief to watch a baseball game that you don't care about the result of. I'm not sure that was proper English, but, um, but the, that the result where the result doesn't matter. So, right. Um, Oh, well, the Red Sox lost 20 to two. Who cares? Uh, it was spring training. It doesn't matter. Uh, Pedroia hit a home run. Hooray. That was fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, I, I appreciate the, the stresslessness of, uh, of spring training games. Um, you know, if you don't, if you don't watch one, you didn't miss anything. Um, but it can be uh, it can be fun to to throw it on for for 20 minutes and you know watch how uh, the pitchers are progressing, watch how the young guys are doing, um, you know against against major league pitching or something uh, close enough to major league pitching. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm I'm a big uh, spring training fan uh, in that sense. Um, I have never really gotten into the World Baseball Classic. Uh, I have a um, a teaching intern staying with us for six months. Uh, who is from Japan and he is very into it and it's, it's fun to, to talk with him about it. Um, his excitement is contagious. Uh, so I, I feel like if, um, he's actually leaving next week, unfortunately, just as this thing starts to really, uh, you know, round into form. But, um, if, uh, I bet if he stuck around, I would, I would get into it, but since he's not going to, I probably won't. Yeah. That's been a really interesting thing to notice about the world baseball classic is just how much, more invested in that event other countries are than the united states and when you look at the roster that the united states is putting out there for the world baseball classic it's still a really great roster like one of the better rosters um in in the entire event but still that you just can't help but notice things like well where's mike trout where's bryce harper where's josh donaldson you know there's no clayton kershaw um and i almost get the sense that until the united states starts stacking that event um, a la the dream team in the Olympics, that type of thing. Um, I don't know that people are going to start to care that much, even though I actually have found the baseball really interesting so far this spring. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly been, you know, exciting. Uh, there's, there's been some big comebacks and, and some, uh, you know, why, when you just watch the games, uh, which I've done a very little of, but, but some of the games I've, I've caught, you know, the, the, uh, you know the fans are so into it, and and that's that's always a fun atmosphere. I um, I have <laughs> at least as as far as baseball goes, I have a greater allegiance to the Red Sox than I do to the quote unquote United States of America. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Which, it's good that you put that in quotations these days too. As you, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> as, as you noted though, I mean the the U.S. team is not really the U.S. team. It's kind of the U.S. team of people who would show up. Um, and, you know, a lot of the, the very best players are not there. So, uh, yeah, that kind of takes away uh, from it uh, you know, for me, I guess. But, 
you know, people are, are digging on it, and I, I think that's great. You know, I, I listen to uh, a whole bunch of podcasts, one of which is uh, Birds All Day with uh, Drew Fairservice um, talking about the Blue Jays, and, and, and he was going off about how great the World Baseball Classic is. So, you know, more power to you guys. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm glad you like it. Uh, personally, I can't wait for the regular season. Uh, let me ask you about the World Baseball Classic again. Um, why do you think it is that the U.S. has been a little bit hesitant to buy in, especially with our top end players? When for other countries, especially, you know, Venezuela comes to mind. I don't think Miguel Cabrera has missed a World Baseball Classic since it started. In the Dominican team, I mean, they get Robinson Cano, um, David Ortiz when he was playing. That lineup is is full of the who's who of Dominican players. So. Why do you think there is that hesitation on the U.S. side where there isn't that same hesitation to represent your country uh, if you're from elsewhere? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I wish I could give you a better answer than that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, um, but it's not one that I have a very good answer for. Uh, I mean, you know, Major League Baseball is the, you know, the highest level of baseball that, uh, you know, that we've ever seen. Uh, certainly – a higher level of baseball than than exists in the World Baseball Classic. Right. Um, and you know some of these guys make uh, you know so much money, um, and some of them are about to make a lot of money, and you know don't want to run the risk of injury. Um, some of them are you know obligated uh, to their or, or feel more obligated to their teams than uh, you know their major league teams than, than they do to showing up. Um, you know, at, uh, you know, for, for the, uh, United States team. And, and I've heard on a couple of occasions, pitchers talk about how, uh, you know, their arms are just not ready for, uh, you know, a competitive environment of that kind of fire, uh, at this, at this stage of, of the, of the game. So I would guess it's a combination of all those and, and probably some things that I, I did wasn't smart enough to think of on my own. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, importance to what you said, especially the pitchers not being ready. Um, and that's a big reason why guys like Clayton Kershaw and David Price and Chris Sale stated that they, you know, didn't want to participate in the event. Um, yeah. And at the same time, when we contrast that with spring training, um, one of the reasons why I don't like spring training, because I like a lot of things about it, but one of the things I don't like is that especially on the pitching side, which is to me, like I'm kind of a pitching nerd. That's, that's my bread and butter. Um, it's not that interesting for me to see a guy just pumping two seams, uh, in the zone, you know, and not mixing it up at all. Um, just trying to get, get his arm ready for, for the season. Um, what is cool is when you get to see young guys go out there who are mixing it up a little bit more. Um, I turned on a game the other day, it was a Cardinals game, and I got to see Sandy Alcantara, a young prospect who throws like 97. So I was pumped about that. Um, but by and large, you don't really get to see um, too much variety from those starters. And then, you know, the flip side of that, I guess, is that when hitters do really well, it's hard to glean a lot from that performance because, well, they're hitting fastballs. You know, <laughs> you know the, the sequencing or... isn't exactly a mystery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, I think it's par for the course with, uh, you know, with this sort of thing. And that's always been kind of the problem with trying to pull, uh, you know, meaning, uh, out of spring training stats. Uh, I mean, we all remember 2013 when Jackie Bradley was Babe Ruth, uh, you know, through the, the month of March, yep. um, and Ortiz was hurt. And so Bradley made the opening day roster. And as soon as, you know, opening day flipped. Uh, he his his magic was gone, and he was he was terrible. <laughs> J- Jackie Bradley. Um, yeah, I remember that season quite well. I had I had yeah. very lofty expectations for him. <laughs> yeah, it it didn't uh, it didn't turn out quite like they they wanted to. At least that part of it. Everything else did turn out like they wanted it to. Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, but that one aspect didn't. So um, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's like like watching. Uh, you know, Pablo Sandoval. I, I think there are some things you can you can glean out of out of spring training, and and you know, Sandoval is actually a good example. Um, you know, we've watched uh, you know him since he came from San Francisco, and you know, seen the physical shape he was in, uh, and and you can look at the way he looks now, and you can tell that he is you know in, in a much better shape, and and you can watch the way that he's fielding the ball, um, and you can uh, you know see 
that he is doing a much better job of fielding the ball now than, than I think he ever has since he signed with the Red Sox. Um, you know, his hit, he's hitting too, uh, which I guess is better than not hitting. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not so willing to, uh, to draw grand conclusions about his hitting ability uh, based on what he's done, you know, in, in March uh, at Fort Myers. But, uh, but I am uh, optimistic, at least with his, you know, uh, his conditioning and his, his ability to field this position um, at, you know, a, sort of a league average level. And uh, so I, I think that's going to, that that's a that's a good start for sure, and I that's the kind of thing I think you can you can learn from uh, from watching spring training. Yeah, absolutely, and I think he has looked a lot better in the field, like you said. He's certainly moving better. Um, there was uh, an interesting article that I read recently, and I can't remember whether it was Fangraphs or it was Baseball Prospectus. It was one of the two great sites, but um, it was talking about what spring training stats you can actually uh, get a little bit of information from. Uh, and one of the things that they talked about was strikeout to walk ratio. And one of the players that they actually mentioned was Pablo Sandoval. Um, and that, you know, if a guy is, is willing to take a few more pitches and, and walk a little bit more in the spring, it typically bodes better for him in the regular season going forward. So that correlation is a little bit stronger. Um, as far as walk rate goes. Right? Yeah, as far as the yeah. walk rate goes. And, you know, there, if a guy gets hot and has a lot of hits but doesn't walk at all, um, that's a less strong correlation than whether he's being more selective at the plate early on. See that, that totally making sense, too, logically. Um, but, you know, one thing we know about – well, we know a lot about Pablo Sandoval. But one of the things we know about him is that he is not selective at the plate. Um, mm -hmm. So um, – you know, I think expecting him to turn over a new leaf uh, as far as that aspect of his game goes is probably asking for uh, for disappointment. So, um, you know, I, again, I, I think uh, anyone who has hopes that this is going to be the Pablo Sandoval of, you know, uh, his his height with the Giants is is uh, going to be disappointed. But yes. but if we can get a league average third baseman out of the, you know, the, the grand total summation of of his uh different you know value inputs um than uh you know a, a two-win player then I, I think that's uh that's fine i think you take that yeah if you're hoping for more than that you had best go try and find a flux capacitor <laughs> um so I want to talk about a few of the position battles that are up for grabs or may be up for grabs there aren't really a whole lot of spots up for grabs which is pretty typical of a team that expects to contend. Um, but a few of the spots are potentially the catcher position, um, the second lefty out of the bullpen, and if Price hits the DL, uh, possibly the fifth starter. But the first one that I want to talk about, because it kind of buoys off of what we were saying with uh, talking about the World Baseball Classic, is the idea of Francisco Abad um, versus Robbie Scott. Or... Uh, those two kind of battling out for that second lefty spot in the bullpen. Or I just called him Francisco. I meant Fernando Abad. Um, and Farrell had a really interesting quote um, when it came to Abad. He said, you love the fact that his country looks on him, upon him to contribute to the WBC, but uh, when he's competing for a spot, you'd like to think that the guy's going to be here trying to make that mark here. Um saying essentially like it's great that he's going to the WBC but when you're locked into a battle like that uh, I kind of want to see you in camp to get the most looks at you possible what do you make of that comment and does that make you think that uh, you know one of these two guys has the upper hand um I'm not sure about who has the upper hand but I would say that that is probably feral in as polite away as he possibly can uh saying that abad shouldn't go to the wbc and should stay in red sox camp and try to earn a job because he doesn't have a job he may think he does just because they tendered him a contract but he doesn't have a job guaranteed to him right um, that two million can be dropped at any time before the season starts yeah and i think they have to pay him a sixth of it um if if they decide to cut him um but you know I, it wouldn't shock me at all if they did that, if they caught him, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I, whether it's based on Scott being, uh, you know, the guy who, uh, you know, who replaces him or, or whether they just think they have enough lefties in the pen already, 
Um, I and I haven't looked at the composition of the pen, so I'm not even sure if that's true or not. But uh, but whatever the reason is, it, it wouldn't surprise me if um, if if Abad you know didn't make the opening day roster. That that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, yeah, it wouldn't shock me either. And frankly, based on performance, I mean, since since Abad came over here in the trade last year. He hasn't performed particularly well, and you know you can chalk some of that up to how he was used. But at the same time, uh, Robbie Scott, in a limited sample size, has come in and looked really good, and has looked pretty good this spring as well. And I was one of the strong advocates um, when we were previewing the team for the playoffs that really wanted Robbie Scott to get that uh, roster spot in the bullpen come playoff time over Abad, and that didn't happen. So. Um, you know, if I if I was a betting man, I would probably put the percentage uh, on about 85% for Robbie Scott getting that spot over a bot at this point. That might be a little strong. I might go under with that, but I, I would say that you know, in contrast to maybe the expectation, uh, you know, before the start of spring training, I would say that it's probably 50-50 at least. I mean, I I think it also sort of depends on how the Red Sox want to use a bot. I mean, is he just going to be you know, a, a one to two lefty uh, only guy coming out of the pen. Um, I mean, if that's really the purpose behind it, uh, behind having him on the roster, then, uh, I, you know, then that's that's probably fine. I mean, that's more or less what he's suited for at this point. Sure. Um, you know, I, I think there's a decent chance that Robbie Scott could be just as effective Um but, you know, Abad is, is a, a, a known commodity, and even though he didn't perform particularly well when he came over from Minnesota last year, um, you know, I, I think that carries some weight with a veteran team that's that's trying to win uh, right now. So rather than, uh, you know, rolling the dice with a guy who's been in the minors, uh, you know, age 27, you know, career minor leaguer, um, which isn't to say Robbie Scott couldn't couldn't do the job you know I, I i'm sure he well i imagine he could but again i think there's that that certainty um of you know if not upper level performance at, at least knowledge of of what is like what is the likely outcome uh from from a bod right um, and, the, and the other factor here in in play too in favor of keeping a bod rather than cutting him and getting rid of that two million that's owed to him is that um you have the ability to option Robbie Scott still, and I don't believe that you have the ability to option a bot at this point. Um, so, yes, you know, right. that gives you another lefty that you can call on in the event that something else happens because they're not particularly well stocked at lefty reliever right now, um, as, as well as I think they probably would like to be. So they really are going to have to fall out of love with a bot to make it happen. Um, I guess I'm just sort of betting on that happening, but I could totally see it happening the other way as well. No, I think, and I think that's a great point, Jake, um, because, uh, you know, they're, they're probably looking at not just the major league roster, but how the entire organization stacks up, um, uh, you know, in, in any, any given, uh, category such as lefty relievers. Um, and you know, if you, if you cut a bod, he's gone. Um, and then if Scott doesn't perform, you, uh, you're sort of in trouble or you've got to dig further onto the, you know, into that, uh, organizational ladder. Um, and whereas if you keep a bot and he doesn't perform, you've got Scott waiting there, um, who you ha- presumably have more confidence in, um, than, uh, than someone else. So, uh, I, I think that's definitely the, the conservative thing to do. I, I imagine that's what, um, you know, the, the Ben Charrington, um, Theo Epstein uh, regimes probably would have done. Um, and uh, and saying that now out loud, um, <laughs> I'm starting to think that you might be right. Yeah, so ownership has been pretty fearless with cutting guys in spring training or, or having guys lose jobs in spring training in that regard. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be, uh, and and we should probably move on to another topic because you know, last lefty in the in the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I'm I'm starting to uh, starting to think that uh, you know you you may be right. There certainly might be a disposition uh, you know from Dombrowski to to make a move like that. And you know if Farrell's quote is any indication, um, you know I'm sure Dombrowski would ask him if he's on the um, you know if he if he's uh, on board with that. 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, if the quote is any indication, it sounds like he is. So, um, yeah, look, look for that is the point, listeners. Look look for that to happen. It's, that's a done deal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the catcher situation because that is – Almost as uninteresting, um, but <laughs> but certainly worth mentioning because we are in the mode of spring. But um, Christian Vasquez and Sandy Leon uh, figured to be in competition for this job as Blake Swihart is the only one with an option and still uh, yeah. had a little bit of difficulty adjusting to getting back to catching this spring. It was that way overblown thing about him having the inability to throw back to the pitcher. Um, but... The interesting thing about Vasquez versus Leon is neither of these guys have done anything so far this spring to distinguish themselves, and it's been a very small sample size. Vasquez has hit 176, Leon has hit 091 uh, with yeah. the bat, so that's not really factoring into it at all. Um, Vasquez has looked much better defensively this spring. His arm has looked stronger, um, so there has been some talk of him taking that position from Lyon, especially considering that pitching uh, in defense is seemingly a larger focus of this club going forward. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that battle as we head into the spring. Yeah, I'm not sure who's going to start on opening day, but um, I think you you hit the nail on the head with with who is going to the minor leagues. I mean, it's going to be Swihart because it can be, Um, you know, and and the way that, you know, Lyon hit in the first half last year, um, you know, even up to August. Um, you know, he was, he was really hitting the ball well. Um, so I, I, I think that that buys him a lot of, uh, rope, I guess, with which to hang himself. Uh, and so, you know, I would imagine that he's going to get a lot of the starts regardless of how spring training goes, even if he hits, you know, Oh, 20, um, I would imagine he's the starting guy on opening day. And I would imagine that he's going to get 60% of the starts, you know, through April. And then, you know, then we're going to reevaluate unless, unless he hits Oh 20, you know, right. Three weeks in and then, then we're reevaluating again. But I mean, uh, you know, teams are, are uh, rosters are always changing. Um, even on a team, you know, as set as this one. And, uh, it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, Leon didn't see the second half of the year, uh, with this team, um, I mean, his track record of hitting—he's a—he's a perfectly fine defensive catcher, um, you know. Yeah, he's—he even might be slightly above average defensively. Yeah, I, I would say he probably is. Yeah. Uh, but you know, his track record as a hitter is—is is just horrendous uh, outside of this three-month stretch that he had last year. So, um, you know, perhaps there's something you know uh, uh, different that he's done. I mean, sometimes players make adjustments and it makes all the difference. I think most of the time players make adjustments uh, and and then, it, you know, it makes a small difference and then they go back to being what they were before. Um, you know, and if you look at how um, how Leon hit, you know, in September, uh, he had 213 with a 286 on base percentage and slugged 253. So, um, and that's with the 302 BABIP. So it's not like he was getting uh, unlucky. He just legitimately wasn't hitting the ball well. Um, he could have also been tired. Uh, there's that. You know, he caught a lot of games, and uh, so anyway, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know how the Red Sox uh, break things out. I don't think Leon gets a pink slip, um, at least uh, you know through the first half of the year. But if he's not, you know, if he's not hitting at all, um, and especially if Swihart is. Um, I, I would expect a, a change to be made, um, and they're not going to get rid of Vasquez. So yeah. I would think that's what the that's where the change would be. And, and to give some of the uh, the listeners out there a little bit of an idea of how much stock some of the projection systems are putting in the improvements that Leon made last year, um, Pakoda um, has Leon at a 2.35 true average going into next season. Um, for for 2017, and it has Christian Vasquez, who was much worse with the bat last year, at a 2.38 true average. So really, they see these guys, despite the gains that Leon made, as essentially exactly the same hitter. And when you yeah. factor in the fact that Christian Vasquez is younger, better at handling a pitching staff, and better defensively, it really starts to look like 
if there's going to be a guy around here for the long term, it's probably going to be him. Yeah, I would think. And I, you know, I would, I'm still thinking that, you know, despite the sort of ups and downs that we've gone through, um, you know, with regard to the catching position over the last year plus, I still think the ultimate um, end point is Swihart as the starting catcher and uh, Vasquez as the backup. Yeah, I really hope so. That bat is too good not to uh, not to be in the lineup as an everyday catcher. And I thought that there was a really good article today. I think it might have been Silverman from the Boston Herald about um, talking to Alex Bregman, who is apparently really good friends with Blake Swihart. I guess they are high school friends and yep. uh, kind of grew up together. And just talking about how ridiculously athletic Swihart is. Um, and how he kind of has that same mentality as a Dustin Pedroia, kind of always working and always competitive. So a guy like that, you have to think, is eventually going to figure out and force his way to the big league club. Well, and even if it's not as a catcher, you have to think that, um, you know, they'll find a spot for the bat. Now, we saw how left field went, but, you know, I, I feel like I'm certainly not advocating for that again. Um, but you know, you would think whether it's with the Red Sox or a different organization at, at a certain point, um, Swihart's bat is going to get a chance to be in the lineup. Um, so, but I, but I, you know, if the Red Sox make the playoffs this year, which I'm hoping and expecting they do, um, I, I would, I would bet, um, some small amount of money that, uh, maybe, maybe a cupcake, maybe I'll bet a cupcake, um, <laughs> That uh, that the starting catcher um, uh, for game one of the ALDS is Blake Swihart. Interesting. I I will take that cupcake bet because I think that it will still be Christian Vasquez by that point. Um, uh-huh. And, and I on. would. What? You're you're on. That's a cupcake. Let's, yeah. Uh, we'll write it down. I would really love to be wrong though because I would love to see Blake Swihart behind the plate. I just. I am so gun shy because I think Blake Swihart, as as is well known around the BP Boston circuit, is like my favorite player, or one of my favorite players uh, on the team, along with Xander Bogarts. And uh, I was just so perturbed by the handling of him last year that I am just not. Uh, yeah. I'm just yeah, I'm just not there yet. <laughs> you know, I'm just not not willing to You'll accept get, that everything's uh, going to be okay. Gonna be you, okay. You, and you can get there. I, I have confidence in you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the giant elephant in the room, which is Price's elbow. I think that's probably worth touching on before we get to that fifth starter spot because there is a strong possibility now that David Price opens the season on the disabled list. And, you know, it started off as a scare that sounded a lot like uh, what people say before they get Tommy John surgery. He went to see two leading surgeons, including Dr. James Andrews, and they both told him, hey, you have a miracle elbow and you don't need surgery or PRP therapy. And he walked away very smiley um, and is apparently throwing again. It's sort of a bizarre situation. I didn't expect this turn of events. Um, I certainly didn't expect him to be throwing by now. Is he on the disabled list when the season opens? Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah, yeah that is a certainty. It seems I, like I, it, right? Um, he is going to miss some time. Um, he, when you say he's throwing again, he hasn't started playing catch yet, um, he, at least as, a, as we record now. I think he's potentially scheduled to play some catch uh, tomorrow being Tuesday, uh, March 14th. Um, so far, I believe he's spent the last three days – gently lobbing a ball against a um a net beautiful so there's there's your 200 million dollar starter um 217 don't discount that 17 that's true (laughs) it's more than either of us will see in a lifetime it's the yeah the the leftover (laughs) in this contract is more than you and i will make combined um (laughs) but uh yeah so he's he's gonna be on the shelf at least to be at least to begin the season i mean i based on i mean the reports that came out after he met with with Andrews and uh, a different doctor whose name I I don't know uh, and uh, probably couldn't pronounce even if I did um, were you know very exciting 
I mean, all of a sudden, okay, it, we thought that he was going to need Tommy John surgery. Turns out he doesn't need Tommy John surgery. He doesn't need, even need, a, you know, an injection for inflammation or anything. He doesn't uh, even need a stinking UCL. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> He's, and then, and then, today, um, Alex Spear of the Boston Globe uh, spoke with Price and uh, sent this tweet. He said, Price said doctors would have recommended surgery if he was 22 or 23, but since he's shown ability to pitch over time, deemed unnecessary. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I think it means that, you know, so there's there's essentially like two kinds of pitcher injuries. I mean, obviously, there's far, far more than that, but, but go with me on this, right? So yeah. um, you've got your sort of blunt injuries where the pitcher throws a ball and something snaps or cracks in their arm. Right. Right. Um, and then you've got the injuries that occur, you know, like erosion bit by bit, by bit, by bit, tiny bit over time, um, years and years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pitches. Your wear and tear injuries. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I think that is what we're seeing now. I think that is, um, you know, at least at least partially maybe to blame for, uh, you know, the lack of command price exhibited last year. Um, and I, I read an article that, um, Brian McPherson, the excellent Brian McPherson, of Providence journal wrote about this. Um, and he was talking about how, um, just, there's just a little looseness in, in the, uh, in the elbow ligament and that looseness can, um, you know, just creates, uh, a inability to be exact with your pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not doing it, uh, you know, doing it perfect justice. So everyone should go to the Providence journal and, and uh, online and, or, or if you live in Providence, go to, <laughs> go buy the paper. But, um, but it's, it's a really good article. He spoke with a, um, with a, uh, sports medicine doctor at uh, Brown university, um, about, about this. Now it's not about specifically about price per se but it, it's sort of about the the process of what a, what a, a quote-unquote pitcher would go would go through um so i i uh, i came away from that and from the alex spear tweet far more pessimistic about where price is and what the red sox are likely to get out of him um going forward uh, i mean if you know you sort of remember this is not the name you want to here in, in association with this, but uh, if you remember how John Lackey was when he first came to Boston, uh, and all all too well, I'm sorry. Well, I think so. That's kind of what Lackey was going through, also. But he didn't uh, tell anybody about it. Well, yeah. So there's a lot of other issues, John Lackey-based uh, issues involved. But uh, but as far as the actual physical nature of what Lackey uh, went through. Um, you know, his pitching got worse and worse because his elbow got worse and worse. Um, you know, and, and I think, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Red Sox manage this situation, given the amount of money that the, you know, this tied up in price, um, given the, you know, the extent of, um, you know, the contract and, and, and the fact that he has an opt out after next season, right. um, which you know he has publicly said he's not going to use, but then guys say that all the time, and then they opt out. Which, I mean, whatever. So, uh, and anyway, so it's it's going to be interesting. It would not shock me if at some point this year Price had surgery. Um, yeah, there's a couple fascinating things about that though that you just said. One one of the things was uh, he kept using this term he, Price in in people talking about Price's injury that he found out that he had a very unique uh, UCL. Do you remember reading that? That his UCL I, was somehow unique? Yeah, I do. And um, that was something that was sort of, sort of debunked by the, uh, <laughs> by the guy from Brown university um, that, that Brian McPherson talked to. Um, I mean, uh, people's anatomies can, can vary certainly, you know, but on the whole, we're pretty similar. 
Uh, and so I, you know, I mean, we know that pitching is the slow art of destroying your arm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, every pitcher eventually just erodes. Yeah. So you can, you know, you can throw some, some guys, it takes five years, some guys, it takes 10 years, you know, some guys presumably would take 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the really lucky guys, but, uh, your arm is going to give out eventually at some point. Uh, it's just a question of when, um, and Price has thrown a lot of innings. Um, you know, last year we saw a bit of a, a down, a, a bit of a dip in terms of velocity, not, not really one that, was huge and and certainly you know at a space where he's kind of been before um but you know that's a precursor to uh to injury um and so is the the command issues he saw so uh you know and then we've got this this elbow issue and i mean there is no elbow magic right. you know there's there's not little special elbow demons that uh you know david price gives cookies to every night and they keep his elbow safe um, he is as susceptible to injury as any other pitcher, uh, you know, more or less. So, um, but this, this, the Red Sox, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Sure. Uh, the situation that I keep, uh, thinking, uh, thinking back to is when we found out that Tanaka, uh, had these UCL issues, uh, that was two years ago now. Um, and it seemed like it was just sort of a matter of time before Tanaka was going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery. And, uh, lo and behold, he was good enough to be in the Cy Young conversation last year, um, pitching with this, this arm that was supposedly at least partially damaged, um, which he has now sort of adapted to pitching with. And I'm not sure that, you know, your UCL is really going to repair itself. Uh, that you know Tanaka has the same UCL that he came into the league with, um, but he has managed to be effective with that nonetheless. So I, I kind of want to get from you. I mean, do you think he can be effective with this, or is it something that, considering the length of the contract and the fact that he's probably going to be less likely to opt out now that he has been dealing with this and he hasn't been pitching quite like himself? Um, would you rather just see him go under the knife and come back in the same way that John Lackey did when he helped the Red Sox win a World Series in 2013 with a fresh, healed UCL, ready to go with some new bullets in the chamber? Well, I don't think you recommend surgery for somebody who doesn't need it. And, you know, Price just saw two, um, you know, the leading surgeons in the, in the field. Um, and if he had needed surgery they would have certainly recommended it. I mean, the the uh, Alex Spear uh, tweet is a little mysterious to me, um, but, you know, nonetheless, the, the, the point remains. Um, they didn't recommend he have surgery or anything. Um, and so there you are. Does that give you more confidence he can perform with the injury then? Yeah, it does. Okay. It does. Um, but... You know, to what extent? I mean, I I think the the comparison to Tanaka is definitely an interesting one. Um, I I would say that the two are pretty different pitchers, um, but that doesn't mean that uh, that Price couldn't have similar success. Um, I mean, you know, Price was not as good as we wanted him to be last season. Um, certainly, when it came to the playoffs, but on the whole, over the course of the season, he was. Uh, you know, a step or two back from where he had been the previous year and, uh, you know, what the Red Sox were probably hoping for. Um, so, I mean, I would expect, I, I was expecting a, a step forward from Price before this whole elbow thing came out. Um, now I'm not. I'm not expecting that. I'm sort of expecting him to be more or less what he was last year if he's able to, um, you know, probably with, with fewer innings uh, thrown. Um, you know, a, a four run ERA guy, maybe upper threes, uh, some strikeouts, probably a, a few more walks and home runs because of lack of command. Um, then the good news for the Red Sox, uh, you know, at least in the short term is that with Chris Sale and Rick Porcello, and I think a pretty strong back of the rotation, they'll be fine with that. 
I think the big issue is if price does need to go into the knife um, or, you know, is sort of in and out of the rotation, um, you know, because of not pitching well and, and soreness or, or you know, whatever else comes along with this. Um, but if they're able to get more or less, you know, the, the quality of, of what they got from David Price last year, if not the quantity, then I think they'll, I think that's still fine. Yeah, and um, David Price did lead the league with 230 innings pitched last year. So while he was not the David Price that we were expecting, the Cy Young-type David Price, uh, he was still an incredibly valuable pitcher from the point of logging many, many, many quality innings, certainly far above replacement-level innings. Uh, yeah, for sure. Most of the time he was out there. So we can bag on him a lot, but if, if he can repeat uh, even a 90 or even an 80% approximation of what he did last year, uh, I think this club's pitching staff will be much, much stronger, especially with the Chris Sale heading it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just so hard to... Uh, I mean, I bet the Red Sox certainly have a better idea of what's going on than you and I do, but uh, but I bet I hope they... So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but they, they probably don't even know exactly... Um, you know, what the situation is, you know, with Price's elbow. I mean, just a year ago, they signed him to this seven-year, $217 million contract. So obviously, they didn't think there was anything that was going to necessitate, you know, surgery within a year. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, I, it, it, it'll be... Uh, it'll be one of those one of those things that, that we're going to, you know, we're going to have to watch. Um, I mean, one thing we sort of know about you know, baseball teams, uh, is that it's monumentally rare when, when, uh, when everything goes right. I mean, we think of the 2013 Red Sox as the team that everything went right for, but, yeah. you know, started off this podcast by talking about something that didn't go right for them. I mean, sure. even one little thing, you know, some, something is going to go wrong. That's just the way baseball works. You just hope it's not the big catastrophic thing that you can't come back from. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, thinking about this this team, um, you know, and how talented they are, uh, I, I think that, you know, the thing that that's going to stop them from being successful, well, is one the sort of randomness of the playoffs. But um, but other than that, I think the only other thing that can prevent them from being a, a successful team and and you know winning a ton of games in the regular season is injuries, um, and you know you just can't. You just can't predict, you know, pitcher injuries, and and that's, uh, you know, the, we we've we've talked before about the you know the lack of depth that the Red Sox have in their their rotation, and um, you know I think we've we've seen how that's sort of borne out, it, you know, this this spring training with the way that Brian Johnson and um, Owens and and uh, now uh, 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 Rowena Elias yeah. who's injured. Um, so, you know, it, it's not looking like they have more than six starters uh, available to them at this point, you know, and if Price is, is gone for any long length of time, then you're talking about there's five guys and that's it um, that you would want to start a major league game. So, um, Well, we certainly know. got some good news on that front today, though, because um, today – Stephen Wright made his four, first uh, start as a pitcher in a very long time since he injured his shoulder base running, I believe, was the last time that we've seen him pitch. And he threw two really good clean innings today where he threw a whole ton of strikes. So uh, that was really encouraging. And if, if the Red Sox can have a really healthy Stephen Wright, a healthy Eduardo Rodriguez, and a healthy Drew Pomerantz back there, um, even if Price is on the shelf for an extended period of time, that's still a very, very capable rotation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's sort of the thing that, you know, that I fall back on is, you know, if you're if you're going to start dropping these guys into buckets, I mean, sale is is a is a one, you know, uh, even the lesser version of Price is a two. I mean, I think that's where you probably put. Porcello also, even you know, even with the Cy Young Award, probably a two. Yeah. But then you've got one, two, two. You know, Rodriguez maybe a four, uh, but you know can play up if he's pitching well. Um, conversely, can play down if he's not. 
Um, you know, I think I think Wright is a four two. So I, I think if those guys are all healthy and firing on all cylinders, you're you're looking at a really strong rotation. And depending uh, on who you talk to about Pomerantz, I mean, some people believe Pomerantz has the stuff of a number two, and he certainly pitched like that in the first half of last year. And a lot of people who have a lot of faith in Pomerantz attribute his downturn in the second half simply to workload. I mean, the guy threw 170.2 innings last year, um, which is far, far more than the 96 or whatever it was that was his previous high total in the big leagues. Uh, He had thrown more than that in the minor leagues as well or or combined innings. But, um, you know, the guy just hadn't done it before. So there's... There is some some merit to that, I believe, and and Pomerantz can be a very good pitcher when he's on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think that's you know that's certainly what the Red Sox are are hoping, given what they gave up, you know, to get him. Um, so uh, I I think we'll uh, we'll have to see. I mean, he's got that sort of odd Rich Hillish profile where he just throws a ton of curveballs, um, and uh, I'm. I actually enjoy watching that. That curveball is a fun pitch to watch, um, so I'm 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 hopeful he stays healthy and and can, uh, you know, can be a successful pitcher this year. I think the health thing with him is, is probably my biggest concern rather than his performance. Um, I think if he's if he's healthy and on the mound, he's probably going to be fine. Um, you know, he'll have his share of bad starts. Everyone has his share, their share of bad starts, but. Um, you know, I, I think the issue is going to be whether or not he's on the mound at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and you know, now we've got him and and Price as legitimate injury concerns. Uh, so, anyway, hooray! <laughs> um, while we're on the topic of pitchers, I want to mention um, an interview that happened with uh, the Boston Globe. Stan Grossfeld interviewed David Price on the way to the ballpark. Uh, in the morning, uh, I think this was probably four or so days ago. I think it was right at the beginning of this week. Um, and some of the answers that David Price gave to some of these questions were truly bizarre and um, made me certainly – and I, I've, I've had questions about David Price's ability to handle this market, and we have talked about that at length last year as well. Um, and I think these – answers that he gave only added to those questions that I have about what his happiness level is here in Boston and whether or not he has the makeup to make it here or or wants to make it here I think that it's sort of a cop-out to say you know does he have does he have the makeup I think it all depends on your mindset and clearly we've seen a guy in Chris Sale come in here with a, a, a very different mindset than we've seen from David Price but I wanted to read you some of the particularly bizarre quotes from this and see what you make of it. So um, one of the things he asks him is, um, tell me something that people don't know about you. And he says, people in Boston don't know anything about me. The only thing I have to do is pitch good. People don't care about what I do or what type of person I am. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to these people in Boston. I've got to go out there and earn respect by pitching well, period. That's the only thing that's going to turn the page for me in Boston. I've got to go out there and dominate. And then he talks about, he says, do you do you think people care if you're a good person or not? And he says, no, no chance. They don't care. If they, if they care, I wouldn't have went through all that crap that I went through last year. If they cared, period. You haven't lived in my shoes if you haven't lived it, dot, dot, dot. Then he talks about the fact that I'm going to catch crap for bringing Starbucks. Sorry, this isn't Dunkin' Donuts because he's bringing Starbucks to the to the trainers in the morning, which is kind of a bizarre thing to mention in its own right. And the other thing that he talks about how, is how he was really upset. He said, it honestly chafed me being in Boston with the reporters. Not one time did anybody take the time to get to know me or my foundation or anything I do away from the field. So <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing, and it, it just goes on and on. And there are some more bizarre quotes in there that I won't, you know, read uh, on the air because that's kind of, you know, it, I could go on for a while. Um, but what do you make of some of these things? Because what they do is they really paint the picture of somebody who is unhappy 
uh, in his current situation and certainly unhappy with the rapport that he has with the media and the rapport that he has with the community. Yeah, I, can't, I don't I can't speak to the the rapport that he has with the media. I I have never I mean, I don't read everything that comes out of the Boston media, but um you know, I I don't recall a lot of, you know, hit jobs on him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's not to say there haven't been some that could have slipped under my radar. I don't read what Dan Shaughnessy writes, so, you know. <laughs> Neither do I. Um, and uh, who's that other Joker who used to uh, – who's now on the radio all the time, Maserati? Oh, who's, yeah. Tony yeah, Maz, so, squeaky Maz. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't shock me if some, one of those guys, uh, you know, took, uh, took some swings at him um, because that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets uh, attention. But, um, I mean, the first quote you read sounded to me like a guy who was really focused on pitching well. Um, you know, after that it gets more into, you know, I, I mean, I happen to know that, you know, he has dealt with stuff that, that, you know, no one should honestly have to deal with. I mean, people have said awful things to him. Uh, you know, Red Sox fans have yelled awful things to him. Um, uh, you know, particularly about his race. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's definitely and, reports we've heard. Yeah. And so, I mean, I love Boston and I love the Red Sox, but that's shitty. And that's, you know, way, way, way over the line. I mean, you don't need me to condemn it. But the, the point is, I, I think it's hard to come down on him uh, too much for the way he feels because we don't really know what has gone on. All I know is a couple reports of that. It wouldn't shock me if there's a lot more of that that he's had to put up with. Um, I mean, we do know Boston is a much – uh, you know, more heated baseball market than, you know, the other markets that he's been in. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's also a, a much different, uh, you know, the, the, the racial makeup of the fan base is also different, uh, you know, than the one that he dealt with in Detroit for sure. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I should try to stay away from, from most of the stuff, but I, I think that, uh, it's entirely possible that he's gone through a lot that hasn't been mentioned in the media that he hasn't brought up and that he's frustrated about, you know? Um, and I'm sure it's frustrating not performing on the field and then hearing about it more pronounced. Yeah. And that's, that's the other aspect of it. You know, he, he didn't have the year that he wanted and expected to have, um, you know, and then the Red Sox were out in the playoffs so quickly you know, in part because of his bad start, but that was only one of three games. Um, it wasn't entirely his fault for sure. Um, so, uh, I think, I think it's probably a lot of frustration and I think it's probably, uh, you know, from those two sources mostly. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be worried about what the, you know, at least from a, a baseball standpoint, I wouldn't be worried about the effect uh, on David Price. I mean, he is a he's a competitor and he wants to win. And I think, you know, I think we know that. And I think he, you know, he said on on hundreds of occasions that, you know, he cares about the guys in the dugout, uh, the guys on his team, his teammates, and he wants to do well by them. And I, you know, I imagine he still feels that way. So um, I just hope he gets the chance, uh, you know, to to pitch well this year and and his his. Uh, his elbow doesn't give out on him. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to speculate about how an individual is feeling, but I, I do definitely have less confidence in his ability to be the old David Price, um, not only because of the injury, but because of sort of the way that he's feeling here. And I think that there is a lot of merit to what you said. Like, he is a competitor, and I think he is a very good teammate, and I think he does care about that. But I think that... There are a lot of arguments to be made. The fact that this guy came up with the Tampa Bay Rays when that rivalry was arguably more intense than the rivalry with the Red Sox and Yankees during that time. Then he went and pitched in Detroit, and then he went and pitched with the Blue Jays. Um, and I think that there were probably a lot of preconceived notions that he had about the city of Boston um, and probably a lot of negative feelings towards the Red Sox before that as well. And they just gave him this ridiculous contract 
But I think that, you know, all these guys are human beings, and he probably didn't have the best time here as a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm sure there were awful things said to him then as well. Uh, and with the Blue Jays, you know, anytime he he has come here before. So I think he's probably a little bit more heightened sensitivity about that, and he does definitely seem to be the type of player that needs to be liked. You know, you get the sense with the Chris Sale that, like, after he cut up the uniforms and did that bizarre thing last year, like, he was going to go out and just pitch like Chris Sale because he's Chris Sale, and Chris Sale doesn't give a damn what you think. But I do not get the sense that David Price does not give a damn what you think. I think he definitely wants to be liked. And if you want to be liked in the market of Boston, I think that that's a little bit of a dangerous thing. Because unless you're Tom Brady, and even if you are Tom Brady, some people want them to trade you for three first-round picks so Jimmy Garoppolo can step up and and play quarterback for them. But Boston is just not the place you want to be if you want to be liked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it led me to this other discussion today that I had with Brian Joyner uh, on Twitter about whether or not David Price will choose to opt out. And my gut feeling, regardless of what ends up happening with him from a health perspective, is that he will choose to opt out and then bet on himself with like a one-year deal somewhere if, if he does end up being unhealthy. Um, I do think that he will walk away from that money because I do think that this is a guy who puts his happiness above cash. And I think he has sort of learned that lesson here. Um, and that's looking way down the road here, but certainly something I could see happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. Maybe I. I think it depends on it. You know, I think if he's healthy and he's pitching well, he's going to opt out. I think that's just the way things go. And I think if he's hurt, if he gets Tommy John surgery, I I can't imagine him opting out. So. Even if he's really unha- unhappy here. Yeah, man, we're talking about 150 million bucks or something. I mean, no, I know, I know. it's so much money. Surgery, you know, he, you're talking about. Suppose he was able to sign a one-year deal for 20 million dollars coming off of Tommy John surgery. You know, I mean, may, maybe maybe uh, I'm just making numbers up. But then you're talking about 130 million dollars he's turned down. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine that would be the case. But anyway, it would be, it would be truly down, bizarre, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. If if he did do it, it's way down the line. So I, yeah. I I think we should we should move on to the next thing, or else we're gonna get down into some rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we may have already fell. Um, <laughs> Maybe so we are going pretty long with the show right now. We're 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 approaching the hour mark. So let's uh let's go ahead and move on to this. And we'll we'll leave the the listeners with this. Uh, I want to talk about Alan Craig and Rusni Castillo, um, some other sort of highly paid people who are non-contributing members of the Red Sox. Um, But both of these guys have come out and not had terrible springs. So I'm going to read you their stats, and I want us both to kind of give a percentage chance of the odds of them contributing at the major league level here in 2017 and that can kind of be the the fun way that we close out this uh this show um so for rusni castillo um the numbers have been fantastic uh this spring he has 21 at bats he has a home run six rbis and he is slashing 429 455 with an 1169 ops he is hitting like david ortiz in the midst of one of his hot streaks yeah so you want me to tell you if he's going to be odds that he makes it onto the major league roster and contributes something this year? Uh, 1%. Ooh. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, with them 20... wanting to stay under that luxury tax, is that the big reason why? Or do you think that they're just not going to need him simply? Well, both. I mean, they've got Benintendi. They've got, uh, you know, Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley, all those guys are young. You can, I think it's fair to expect that you know they'll stay mostly healthy. Um, you know, Chris Young is there. Uh, you know, perfectly capable of playing. I don't know how he would be in right field, but certainly in center and left, he can do that. Um, 
I'm forgetting somebody. Who's the fifth outfielder? Um, Brock Holt. Brock Holt. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Never mind. The, <laughs> but the, the de facto uh, outfielder. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I just, you know, he's not on the Castillo is not on the forty man, so they would have to they would have to lose somebody off the forty man to to move him on. Um, you know that that money that he's making, I, I forget how much it's. What is it, nine million a year? Yeah, uh, it's it, the whole contract was seventy two, and I believe it's nine per. Yeah, so I, all of a sudden that that nine goes on to their luxury tax, um, you know, uh, uh, bill. Um, if they're, I don't think they're over now. I think they're awful close. I'm sure that would put them over. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just don't see it, man. I, you know, and, and, I, and Steve Selesky and Bryce Brents are both on the 40 man, so those guys can be called up if they need another guy. Yeah, I, although I don't know, Brents needs to be uh, on the major league roster this year, so he's not. He's going to get cut. He'll be gone. Yeah, he's got zero options left. Yeah. So, uh, so I, you know, I think I think it's an incredibly small uh, uh chance i mean i think he's got a, I think he's got a hit in triple a you know i think he's got a show you know like we were talking about spring training is spring training he's got a hit in triple a and he's got to do it over the course of more than a month you know he's got a if he's hitting 400 with a 600 slugging percentage at the end of may talk to me then you know I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic. I'm going to give him a 15% chance, so a whopping 14 percentage points more than you. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I still agree with you on everything that you said. Like It's in, it's incredibly unlikely. But when I look down at that AAA um, system, I am looking at three guys in Brents, Bogusevic, and Junior Lake that don't have options. Um, and then it's really Steve Selesky. Um, Carlos Quinton, Danny Mars. I mean, there are not a lot of intriguing names down there. So, um, if, if any long-term injuries happen, I do think they will bite that bullet and bring up Castillo. Well, maybe it's, it's, it's a possibility at least a long shot, but nonetheless a possibility. Um, Let's talk about Alan Craig because he has been a little bit better as well. I had his stats up right in front of me, and then I lost them, but here I've got him again. <laughs> um, Alan Craig, he has batted 231, 344, 423 with a home run this spring. Um, not exactly tearing the cover off the ball, but what is intriguing about him is that he hasn't looked completely lost at the plate. Uh, I mean, we're talking about a guy who I believe as recently as 2013 was the cleanup hitter for the Cardinals in the World Series. We're also talking about a guy who as recently as last year hit 173 in AAA. Yeah, he's very badly broken. Uh, I mean, I I don't know how or what the reason is for that drop. Um, you know, from 2013 to 2016, the, you know, the injury he suffered, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. I, again, man, I I think it's, and this is the last year of his deal. I think. I think this is it. This is so, it. Yep. Um, I think it's more likely that that you know, if if Craig is hitting, oh, you know, over the next uh, couple months, I think it's probably more likely they trade him. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible that, I mean, they won't get anything for him, but I think it's possible that, you know, that he gets moved somewhere. Um, some, someone who wants him at the major league level. Um, cause but, if any injury occurs, it's Sam Travis's gig a hundred percent. Yeah. I just don't see any way he gets another at bat for the Red Sox. I, it's, it's, it's just not, uh, it's not going to happen. Even if he hits well, um, I, I could see, I could see your, your, your case for for Rusni Castillo, I, you know, just based on the the horrendous depth that the Red Sox have, um, Dave Dombrowski trades, um, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in the outfield, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, so so it's entirely possible that 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 situation may may come about. You know, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully, you know, the the three guys they have in the in, in the starting in the major leagues. Um, stay healthy and if they do i'm sure those those will be the starters going forward but um 
but injuries are uh, you know a reality. But I just even even with injuries, I just don't see any way Alan Craig makes it uh, up to Boston. So you're going zero percent. Yeah, I'll say I'll say zero point one percent. All right, I'll go two percent. Just wow. just because that is delicious <laughs> milk. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, I feel like we have covered off on a whole array of stuff, um, and we should probably call it a day. Um, yeah. We do have plenty of more topics to talk about this spring, and hopefully we'll we'll talk about some more good stuff before uh, the season starts. But by the next time I speak with you, it will be the regular season, uh, right. which will be super exciting, and we'll have a whole lot more stuff to touch on then. But, uh, Matt, it was an absolute pleasure today having you back on the show, and it was great talking some baseball with you. A little housekeeping here. Um, you can find Matt again on Twitter at at MattyMatty2000. You can find myself at at DevJake. And uh, if you enjoyed the show today, please go on to iTunes or Stitcher and rate and review us. Uh, we really do appreciate reviews. We haven't gotten reviews in a long time. We have two five-star reviews, but nothing else than that. So please, people, uh, if you do like us, tell us. Uh, and if you think we can do something else better, uh, also tell us that. So... Uh, we would appreciate that feedback. You can also submit questions to us on um, the Red Seat uh, page, any of the podcasts. There's a little Google submission box you can uh, click on and submit a question to us, and we will answer that uh, on the air if we do get one. So uh, spring training, you might have some questions. And with that, uh, I, for Jake De for Matt Glory, this is Jake Devereaux saying thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be with you next